This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Gail Brown, a catalyst. She is also a librarian, head of the Voorheesville Library's Youth and Family Services. She has just been named Librarian of the Year by the New York State Library Association. Her goal is to create a community of learners. While she focuses on kids, her tendrils reach to nurture their parents and grandparents too, as well as the community at large. In one library project, Brown paired kids with veterans so that young people would understand the sacrifices of war. She has recently been named the Public Librarian of the Year by the New York State Library Association. And our readers, longtime readers, will recognize her name because (laughs) on the pages of our paper, we've had many of the things that she has organized. So congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm uh, humbled and honored, to say the least. Well, yeah, it's so exciting for all of Voorheesville to have this honor. So tell us, what what does it involve? Did you have to apply for it, or was it a total surprise, or how does that Um, come about? It was a surprise to me, but what it is is the New York Public Library awards annual awards in a variety of categories. Um, For example, I won in the public library category, and there's also school library and service awards. So there's a variety of annual awards, and it's based on being nominated. So it's nominated by your peers, nominated by... um, people in the community who may may speak to the director of the library so i was i was nominated and and selected by the committee well you're certainly deeply rooted in the community i <laughs> just went through our old archives and oh my goodness you were active in the playground you're active with the community and school foundation yes, yes. you just pop up everywhere so tell us about being a librarian what is it that made you choose this? This is actually a second career for me. My first career was a high school English teacher when I was in my 20s, and then I took a few years off to raise my children, and and I moved a few times because my husband was transferred. I've always loved books, and I've always loved sharing good books and talking about books with children, hence why I became an English teacher. And then when my children were a little bit older and I was looking for something different because I was teaching in Pennsylvania, but I was living now in New York, and I started working in a library and I said, you know, I really love this library stuff. I really love that um, you're not confined by by the curriculum. You can really be creative and think outside of the box. And for me, it's about creating a community of learning. And, And that's what I really love about it. Just tell us some of the things you've done that have that have made that happen. The ones that come to mind for me, um, tell us about what you did with veterans. Yes, this was, gosh, I can't believe it's four years ago already. Um, It was called Military Memories and Veterans Voices. And I have 
a deep respect for those who have served and those who continue to serve. So I was looking for a way that we could honor the veterans right around Veterans Day. And there was a local family, both a husband and wife are in the uh, New York National Guard. So I started talking with them and said, you know, how can we engage the young people? Because I am a youth services librarian. How can we engage the young people so that they understand the sacrifices that these people make? And it, it just got really, really big. Like so many people became involved. And we interviewed those from... Uh, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam War, Iraq War, those who served in Afghanistan and those who presently served. And we got the Boy Scouts involved. It was actually one of their projects that I reached out to the troop leaders in Troop 73, which is the local Voorheesville Boy Scout troop, and said, hey, would the Boy Scouts be involved? would like to be involved in interviewing veterans. And they were delighted because it was something that they have always wanted to do, yet for some reason, they couldn't seem to make it all come together. And, you know, Homefront Cafe was amazing. Um, I found many of the veterans there. And sadly, I think three of them have passed away, passed away this past year. And it was just an extraordinary experience to have young people interview those who served in in World War II, especially, to bring their stories to life. And I remember this, this young man who came to me. He loves history. And I paired him up with a Korean War veteran. And he came out after his interview and he looked at me and he said, Mrs. Brown, this was better than any textbook. And, <laughs> and my heart just soared because that was exactly what I wanted. I, it's about sharing, sharing history, making history come alive. You can read these things, but to actually talk with someone and ask them questions about what their personal experience was... I hope that that's an experience that they'll carry with them the rest of their lives. And the most important thing was to honor veterans and just to let them know how appreciative that that we are for all that they've done and all that they continue to do. And I think it worked both ways, too, because I remember talking to some of the veterans that were interviewed. Mm -hmm. And for them, it was a chance. Maybe they were hesitant to dive into those memories, or it was a chance to kind of crystallize for them the importance of what they had done. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, it worked both ways. So I see you as kind of a catalyst in the community because you're like bringing together these, I like different, that word. Um, yeah. these different parts that might not otherwise intersect and learn from each other. Um, Another initiative that I was fascinated with was your, you worked with other people, of course, but um, the Screen Free Week. Yes, yes. Um, just tell us a little about how that came about and why that was important. Uh, I, I think one of, I, one of the things that I think it's really important for librarians to do, and especially for me because I'm the head of Youth and Family Services, is to, to listen to parents. And a lot of the parents were coming to me and saying, 
you know, Gail, there's just, you know, some troubles in the schools. There, there, there's things happening. And, and we really think that, you know, the overuse of screens, particularly social media, is really um, heightening what's always been a part of being a young person, it, you know, bullying, whatever. Um, and I have been reading, had been reading a lot about, you know, the deleterious effects of too much screen time, especially when children are young. Granted, technology is wonderful. We're using it right now. I see it as a tool. It's a great learning tool. Certainly during the pandemic, it, it was um, extremely necessary and important. Yet, I think too much of it can really hinder creativity. Um, it can really isolate people, whether you're a young person or even an older person. So there is this national initiative called Screen Free Week. It's something that you might remember from years ago, National TV Turnoff Week. Do yes, you remember I that? Do. Well, yes. it has morphed into Screen Free Week because, um, Young people are are not just watching TV. You know, they're going on YouTube and social media and and video games and all these kinds of things. And believe me, none of this is is my saying that these things are terrible because they are not. Yet, much like anything, it's about um, moderation. So, Screen Free Week is a way for a community to come together and create a week long of activities that are screen free. So we created a committee, we created a committee through the school and every night of the week we had activities. One night was a, a potluck and a game night at the library. Another night, which was very well attended, I mean, several hundred kids, was was um, just, just a playground night at the school. And the kids came together and played, and we had popsicles, and we had stations set up with STEAM activities, and it, that's, you know, like science activities and art. And the kids just had a wonderful time. There were no screens. Parents were talking to each other. Kids were running around. Jeff Vivenzio, the Voorheesville Elementary School principal, led a family bicycle ride on the rail trail. St. Matthew's Church had one night where it was a barbecue and family fun night. They had several hundred people. The Kiwanis came together. And I think you're probably right that I am sort of a catalyst <laughs> that, I mean, I, I think I, I live and work in an amazing community. And it's just about bringing all of these people together to share their talents and their resources. And everybody's just so happy to do it. Well, it takes a certain kind of person to get people to do it, I think. So, um, yeah, I remember, I think well over 100 families signed up and participated. And my yep. thought was it would grow every year. And then, of course, wham. Yes, and we, we, got got, we had already had um, <clears throat> plans for Screen Free, which is usually the first week of May of every year, mm -hmm. the national initiative. And we had most things planned. We had a nationally recognized speaker who was supposed to come, Dr. Thomas Kirsting, who wrote Digitally Distracted. Um, he was booked to come. He's still booked to come when we can have him when things get, get back to normal. Um, yet that had to be put on, on hold. 
Yet um, I'm meeting with my co-chair this week to start talking about screen-free week 2022. So we have great hopes that we will have a wonderful week of screen-free activities in May. And it and I, I'm very confident we'll be in a much better place um, COVID-wise by then. And also many of these things are held outdoors, so they can be held safely. Let's hope we're in a better place. Yes, but really. I think you were very much ahead of the curve because there have been so many revelations lately with the effect of um, image and self-confidence on, you know, that social media has had on teenagers. Yes. And it's, I think, been a revelation for a lot of people, but you were well aware of it listening to parents early on and Mm -hmm. trying to kind of build up that idea of person-to-person community. Do you have any thoughts? Because, as you say, during the pandemic, we were all saved by our screens. Oh, gosh, I mean, the yes. teachers um, mm-hmm. and the library, too. You did so many things. Just tell us a little about how you and <laughs> your families and youth were reached during the pandemic. What kind of things did you do to keep people, as you say, engaged in learning and thinking. Right. Well, um, in the you know, our story this- hours are always very well attended, and I'm pleased that we're, we can have in-person story hours now. We have to, to limit the amount of people that we have, and everyone wears a mask, those two years of age and older. But I'm just so happy that, that we can finally be together, and the parents and grandparents and the children are thrilled. My colleague Lisa Fessmeyer and I every week did a um, short recorded story hour, and I would talk directly to the kids, and many of them knew me, and many of the parents knew me, and we would have a take-and-make bag that would correspond with the story times theme, and parents could come, and or grandparents, whoever was taking care of the child who was watching the um, story time that week, could come and engage in the activities. Our adult services also did that. They did take and take and make bags every week. And that was a way for families and also just anybody to um, be creative and to just bring a little bit of joy to them. We had a virtual programs. Uh, I remember the story time that we had last year. I actually had it outside at my home. Um, my colleague and I dec- decorated. I live in a log cabin. We decorated the front of it, and I pretty much in- invited the families home, and we all we all dressed up, and, and that was really nice. Once the weather got nicer, it was re- really wonderful because we could have things outdoors. Um, and During our summer reading program for the summer of 2020, we had a drive-through nursery rhyme and fairy tale adventure. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, how did that come about? That was amazing. Well, I, I think you were saying that I serve as a catalyst, but I also think that my one of my most important roles is to listen and also to to build and nurture relationships. So I reached out to some of the teachers of, of younger children at the school district. I reached out to the preschool coordinator and said, 
You know, do you have any ideas on how we can do something safely? Because this is before people could get vaccinated. We couldn't have anything indoors. Um, and we all just started brainstorming ideas. And it, much like the military memories and veterans' voices, we had a lot of these very creative people coming together um, to make something really extraordinary for people during a time that, that was challenging and demanding and just bringing them joy. So our theme for the summer was um, Imagine Your Story. So we had stations that you would drive through. And it really started with a story that little Bo Peep had lost her sheep. That was the first story. And we used the, the driveway at the Clayton A. Bowton High School because it was a really beautiful space for people to be able to drive, drive through, stay safely in their cars, and, and engage with the actors who created these stories. And I'm happy to tell you that the sheep was found at the end. Um, <laughs> Were you little Bo Peep? No. no. You oh, no. I was Mother Goose. That was it. I and my colleague Lisa was, was my goose. Um, so I started thinking about about young people and the, and the things that they were missing out on. And I thought, you know, the drama kids, they, they didn't get to perform what they wanted to perform. So I reached out to the school and the drama department, and many of them came and played music. They did skits. They dressed up. You know, they played their part, whether it was Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick, you know, Little Boy Blue, whoever it was. Um, my children participated in 4-H, and I know a lot of the 4-H kids, and I said, gee, you know, how sad that they're not going to be able to show their animals this summer. So I reached out to my 4-H people contact, contacts, and I said, you know, would some of your kids like to participate in this? So they brought sheep. They brought goats for the three billy goats gruff. They brought chickens for Chicken Little. They brought um, llamas for Llama Llama, Red Pajama. Um, they, they brought a horse for farmyard animals. So it was just this really wonderful day of community and fun. And the one thing that was really delightful was for families that had not seen each other in a really long time, they were waving to each other in the car, hey, like going, hey, like I haven't seen you in so long. And even, it wasn't even just for kids. I saw adults that came, came in just to drive through because it was just a lot of fun. And I'm just so grateful for the, the very generous community that we have. Um, the administrators, the superintendent over at the school, they, they were just so helpful with everything. And um, Monica Parmenter, who is a librarian, she's a school librarian, but she worked with me that summer and she and her daughter Ellie designed all of the um, little signs and her, her daughter actually... Um, created the, skit, the skits for these sort of fractured fairy tales. They were just really hysterical. And, it was, and the weather couldn't have been more beautiful. <laughs> so it was just a really, really fun event. Yeah, well, we heard about it from so many people. And also, just throughout the pandemic, it seemed like the library was really a lifeline. Everyone was so mm -hmm. isolated. Mm -hmm. And even if it was just through a screen, <laughs> they felt connected when right. they could do the story right. time or yes. have the craft or yes. something that wasn't 
hearing more about COVID. Right. And another thing, um, you know, parents reached out to me and, you know, said, you know, we're really struggling. And so um, what the library and I did was was design some parent programs, virtual parent programs. And I actually reached out to nationally recognized parent educators and we did some some book discussions um, and it gave parents an opportunity to get together without their children to talk about some of the things that they were struggling with. And also the library listened to the parents that we had some of these programs late at night. Some of them started at nine o'clock because that way parents could put their young children to bed and to be able to be fully engaged in the learning and also in that whole shared experience with other parents. And I know that was really, really beneficial to a lot of them because they, they sent letters and emails and said that was really important to them. Well, you do so much that is not in the kind of stereotypical view of library. <laughs> it's like you're part psychologist, part psychologist, part social worker, part, I mean, but I'm just wondering if we can get back to, well, maybe it's my stereotypical view, books. And I remember I looked up this story because for a Christmas issue once, I was asking librarians their favorite book to read to kids. Mm. And when I got to mm. you, I, this was back in 2013. Oh, I remember. Oh, my gosh. You had this. It wasn't like, oh, I have one Christmas story I like and I read it every year. Mm -hmm. It was you constantly check different blogs, different outlets. You find new books. You had this whole array of favorite books that picked different parts of different cultures at this time of year, not just Christmas, Correct. but you had a book, a Jewish story, yes. you had you had this whole sense, and what you told me, I just love this, you said, the theme of true giving transcends religious boundaries, and then you had this series of books that you would read to kids mm -hmm. at their story time that were from all different traditions, but that had that at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered if you could just talk a little about, to me, what I think of when I think of libraries is books, mm -hmm. and just share some of your ideas on what are some of the good books for kids? And what are some mm -hmm. of the ones that stay with you as really reaching kids, maybe kids that don't think of themselves as readers? Mm -hmm. um, do you have some advice in that in that area? Really listen to the kids. L listen to what speaks to them. Um, and, and I think in the past few years with um, the publishing companies, they've really really become aware of offering a wide variety of books that that have people of of different colors, different religions, different, um, you know, gender identifications, whatever it is. And I think this is just an extraordinary opportunity to introduce young people and families to these books to open up their minds to a wider world. Because Voorheesville is somewhat of a, you know, <laughs> a community that's not um, all that diverse. And I think one of the best ways is 
to have, once again, these shared learning communities where we're reading books together and talking about them. And I know that my colleagues and I are cognizant of picking books that, that are diverse and maybe some books that you would think for young people that, that would be hard. Um, you know, that, that deal with topics that are hard. But I think if you talk about it with young people in a respectful way, and especially if you invite their parents to come, we have family book discussions, and we often invite the author to come and be with us, whether it's virtually or in person, which really offers a wonderful element of where the story came from, um, how it shaped itself, and why it's important for young people. But I think the most important thing is to is to listen to young people, and there, there's just so many amazing, wonderful books from from graphic novels to um, just um, amazing books. Well, this idea of bringing in authors, one that really stands out for me, and I'm just struggling thinking of the name. Um, Montalvan, I think was his name. Oh, Luis Carlos Montalvan. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. He was a soldier yes. in Iraq who suffered from PTSD mm-hmm. and wrote this book about his dog, yes. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And you brought that mm-hmm. into the library. Mm-hmm. And I think it just gave people a whole new understanding of what it meant to be disabled in that way because so often mental illnesses, um, you can see a physical disability and, you know, teach someone to be, as a child, empathetic towards, say, someone in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. but it's this hidden kind of disability and you just made it just so real um, just tell was, us a little he, about that. Well, his publicist reached out to libraries. I don't know, you know, across the country. He was um, speaking nationally, and he was a st- strong advocate for veterans' rights. And he actually um, paired up with, oh, who was it? I forgot his name. But someone in in Congress, and they de- created a bill to allow veterans with PTSD to be paired with service dogs. So he was instrumental in making that happen. And I love animals, and two of my dogs were therapy dogs, and and the kids would would read to them. Um, So I said to the assistant director at the time, I said, I really, really want to see if I can have him come here. Um, And I just reached out to some local communities to ask for funding, many of whom were, were very generous, and had him come to the library. And it that's one of the programs that will really stick with me, especially since he, he has passed. Oh, gosh. He, he sadly took his life. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'm so sorry. Well, it was certainly just uh, a wonderful sharing that took place, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget it. And to see the veterans there yeah, um, yeah. who came and talked privately with him and the tears and... Um, and I kept in contact with him, and he also wrote a children's book, um, two children's books that, that I read often to kids about, you know, someone who, who has a disability, and as you said, it's, it's a silent disability, yet it, it's a disability nonetheless, and, and 
many of our soldiers come back with that, and it's important to pay attention to that and make sure that they get the help that they need. And reading that book is just a way of perpetuating his work and yes. making his life yep. still matter. Yes. That's that's great. Our time has gone too fast. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, just, you know, hang, hang in there during the pandemic. I know this has been a really hard time. You know, re- reach out to people if you feel like, like you need to talk to someone. Um, and look to your local libraries. Your local libraries are really, really um, a gift, and they have many resources and and many ways to have you stay connected. and And we listen to you. So talk to us. <laughs> <laughs>